Hi, and welcome to the White Hill podcast series. My name is Roger. I'm one of the pastors here at White Hill, and we're glad that you've chosen to listen to one of the podcast messages today. Our prayer is that you would be challenged and inspired to take the next steps in your journey with God as you listen to this message. If you want to keep in touch with more things that are happening at White Hill, head to our website at whitehill.church and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Enjoy this message now. So starting in verse 15, it says this. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if you want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread amongst believers that, the disciple, that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if you want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. It is uh, good to be here to finally share, because this week, uh, the more you dig into these passages, it seems like the deeper you go, the more you get out of it. And I had all these notes and I prepared it all and I'm thinking, heavens, I'm going to be preaching for an hour and a half on Sunday. So I had to cut and slash and everything else. But anyway, um, it is good to be here finally and to be able to share with you all that God has been teaching me through the week. Um, is there everyone... A few weeks ago, I started driving down the road and all of these signs started popping up on the side of the road uh, for all of these electoral candidates. Is everyone over the election already? Uh, I know I am, and it's 20 days to go before we actually have to go and do the deed and vote. And I believe they have a polling booth that gets set up here. So if you're looking for a place to vote, you can do that. Um, but uh, there is a part that almost seems fake with everything that goes on with the election. You know, the, the Prime Minister is in on factories and he does photo ops as he's working the tools and I'm thinking, oh yeah, come on, have you lifted a tool in your life? Do you know what you're doing? Um, and then uh, all of a sudden you see the opposition leader and he's with families and he's having a baby hug and I'm thinking, okay... Um, 
forgive me if I'm a little cynical about our politics. Um, I can remember uh, back enough to see some of the uh, real struggles that went on in our political system. And uh, in our politics, you know, you expect uh, an opposition to attack the government that's incumbent. You expect them to attack character. You expect them to attack the mistakes and everything else. But back in about 2007, for a, a decade, there was a period within our uh, government, our federal government, where it seems that the parties weren't just attacking each other, uh, they were attacking each other from within their own parties. And so we started off with Kevin Rudd, who uh, beat uh, John Howard at the election, and he got in for a short time. And then he got knifed in the back by Julia Gillard and pushed out of the prime ministership. And then Julia won an election, and then Kevin got his own back on her and kicked her out. Kevin was in for three months before the election came around, and then they were kicked out, and then Tony Abbott got in. And we all know about Tony Abbott and his speedos and all those images that got up on the media. But it wasn't long before Tony, he was there, I think, for about two years or just under two years. And then Tony got kicked out by Malcolm Turnbull. And then it wasn't long down the track where Malcolm Turnbull got kicked out and the party was left leaderless and then Scott Morrison ended up standing in. And I just reflect on that and you just think, how bad is it? You expect to be attacked by people that are in opposition, but you don't expect people to attack you from your own side. It'd be like when we see the war that's going on between Russia and the Ukraine, that the Ukrainian soldiers start fighting against one another or the Russian soldiers start fighting against themselves. Um, you don't expect that to happen. And it, it is almost a depth of betrayal when something like that starts to happen. You expect to be supported by your own team. Well, we're going to look at a passage tonight that looks a little bit about what it is to be betrayed and how that happens and works its way out in the life of Peter. Before we dig in, I'm going to pray and just ask that God would use his word tonight. So will you pray with me? And let's just ask God to speak. Heavenly Father, we do uh, look forward to looking at your word tonight. We pray that you would open our hearts. Father, give us soft hearts to hear what you would say to each one of us tonight as we go through and look at the life of Peter. And we just commit it to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, open them up to John 21 is where we're parking. But in order to understand the crux of what is going on in John 21, I need to take you back a little further. Um, most, hopefully, are a little familiar with the life of Peter. Now, Peter, of course, was called to be a disciple. His name wasn't originally Peter, but it was Simon. Simon was a fisherman and he was taken out fishing with Jesus and Jesus 
after they've been fishing all night and caught nothing, Jesus takes them out in the daytime, not the best time to fish, tells them to cast the net over, and then the net is so full of fish that the nets start breaking. They load the fish onto the boats, and the boats are so full, they start to sink. So a massive catch. And when that happens, Peter responds in a way that acknowledges who Jesus is. And he says, away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And we see as we go through the three years that Peter then spends with Jesus, that Peter is a man of great boldness. I mean, who else, when they see someone walking on the water in a storm, would say, call me to come and walk on the water too? And Peter steps on the water and starts walking on the water. He does sink, but... He does get out of the boat. None of the other disciples get out of the boat. Peter is the one to whom Jesus challenged when people around were questioning who Jesus was. Peter questioned his disciples and he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter is the one that says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And so Peter deeply feels and acknowledges who this Jesus is that he was spending these three years with. He has a a greater understanding, you might say, but he also has that sense of passion that drives him forward. Sometimes he opens up his mouth too early and uh, he puts his foot in it, but most times he is really the one that goes forward. Well, fast forward now to the Last Supper in John 13. It's two days before Jesus is about to be crucified. They're having the Last Supper. And Jesus is explaining why he's going to leave them. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, why can't I follow you now? He says, I will lay down my life for you. In fact, when we look at the other Gospels, in what they record, they have Peter saying and claiming that he would never fall away. That even if all the other disciples fall away, Peter will be bold. He will stand there to the end. He claims he's ready to go to prison. He's ready to die for Jesus. And it's in the face of that claim and that declaration that Jesus, who knows everything and knows how frail we are and our humanity, our propensity perhaps to say too much or overcommit, but also our failures and our failings, he says to Peter, tonight, before the cock crows, you're actually going to deny me three times. And then as we go into Luke 18, sorry, not Luke, John 18, we see Peter, after Jesus has been arrested and he's on trial in the Jewish courtyard, Peter actually does deny Jesus three times with three different people. Peter boldly declares to them, I am not his disciple. I am not one of them. I am not a follower of Jesus. And it's on the third time that he says this, that Jesus turns from wherever he is in the courtyard after being beaten and everything else, being on trial. 
And he turns and he looks Peter in the eye. And Peter realises on that third denial, as the cock crows, how right Jesus was. But beyond that, he realises what he has just done in denying Jesus, in denying that he was a disciple. It's like Peter was there, had an opportunity to stand up for Jesus, and instead of standing up, it's like he knifes him in the back and says, no, I'm not one of Jesus' followers. And Jesus sees it and looks at him. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you have done the wrong thing and you've been caught. Or you just know when you did it. When you committed whatever sin it was that you knew Jesus had seen you. That you knew that what you had done was visible. Peter in this situation, he leaves the courtyard. He heads out. And it says there that he weeps bitterly. Tears of remorse for what he has done. Peter remembered his bold claim, but now he's aware of his betrayal. And Peter is heartbroken. Here's a man who talked so loudly, who lived really boldly in the light of others, but now he has betrayed Jesus and he felt it deeply and he shattered and I wonder how Peter coped as Jesus was then crucified over the last couple of weeks we've looked at the resurrection stories and at first Jesus is resurrected and he comes and stands among the disciples 10 of them Uh, of course Judas is gone but the 10 that were there because Thomas wasn't there on the first occasion And I wondered what Peter was thinking when Jesus appeared. Was he thinking still about his betrayal? Because he hasn't had a chance to debrief or to talk about it with Jesus. Even on the second occasion when Thomas is there, still there doesn't seem like there's been an opportunity. And now on this particular occasion in chapter 21, it's like a couple of weeks have passed since Jesus rose from the dead. And now they're no longer in Jerusalem, but they're on the shore or the Sea of Galilee. And Peter's there, still not having talked about it. Now, I don't know about you, but I know when I stuff up, when I do the wrong thing, and I feel that weight of guilt on me, when you don't put it right straight away, what happens? I don't know about you, but I start to churn inside. It's like the weight of guilt starts to become a real burden. And it's like the Holy Spirit has got his hand on my shoulders. And it's like, you know, you've done the wrong thing. You've got to put it right. You know, you've done the right. And you know what? The more you put it off, it's like the heavier it gets. Well, that's the background to this passage that was read for us tonight. 
Now, we don't have time to go through, again, the fishing trip that happens at the start of chapter 21. You can read through that at home and see where Peter becomes aware that Jesus is on the shore. It says there that Peter throws himself overboard on hearing that Jesus was on shore because he wants to go and see Jesus. And he meets him on shore, and here on shore, when we've got a fire and we've got some fish on the coals and some bread, uh, it's like an opportunity not just to have breakfast, but it's an opportunity to have a conversation. And Jesus is going to start this conversation in chapter 21, verse 15, and he starts it off by asking Peter a question. And this is what he says. He looks at him and he says, Simon, son of John. Now, that doesn't sound like Peter's name. It's not like Jesus is calling him Peter. He's actually calling him by his full name, Simon, son of John. The name he used when he first called Peter back in John chapter 1. Now, when my mother called me by my full name, Roger Graham Harris, I knew I was in trouble. It was like it was time to do business. Jesus addresses him by his full name. There was no ambiguity as to who he was addressing, but the question itself does have some ambiguity or uncertainty as to what it means. He says to Simon or Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, as I was studying, I was thinking, what on earth is the these referring to? Do you love me more than these? There are three potential possibilities. Maybe Jesus was looking at the other disciples when he said the question to Peter, and he's asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than the other disciples that are here? There was another six disciples there on the beach. Do you love me? Is your devotion to me greater than these other men around you? And it's a bit of a throwback reminder, perhaps, to when Peter boasted and said, even if all others fall away on account of you, I never will. You know, all of the disciples were scattered in Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. But only Peter was the one that denied Christ three times. But perhaps it means something different. Perhaps when he says, do you love me more than these, he's referring to a quantity of love. In other words, do you love me more than you love these men that are with you? Am I more important to you than them? Peter had just gone out fishing and led them all back fishing again. But was Jesus the most important thing in Peter's life? He obviously cared what other people thought about him because he didn't stand up for Jesus when he was around other people and he was questioned by them as to whether or not he was one of the disciples. And then there is still another potential possibility 
that Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these, as in these things, the boat and the fish that he caught? Because on this day, they'd obviously been hanging out by the Sea of Galilee. They didn't go and they weren't having a prayer meeting, but Peter reverted back to the occupation he had before Jesus called him in John chapter 1. In other words, Jesus is asking him, given the context, Peter, am I more important to you than your life as a fisherman of boats and of fishing? Well, all of them are possible. It's likely it could have been one of the first, but perhaps Jesus leaves it open for us to ponder and asks us the same question. Is Jesus most important in our lives, more important than others, more important than things? Let's keep going down this passage because the passage will take a little bit for us to unpack. As we look at the passage, we can see Jesus questions Peter three times. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me again? It, he asks the same question almost three times in almost identical fashion. And then the response that comes from Peter seems almost identical too. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. It's like a broken record. It's like we're hearing the same conversation again. But the conversation, unfortunately, in English, it doesn't translate the words of the original or the Greek that well. In the Greek language, would you believe, there are actually seven different words for love. Four of them are used in our Bible and two are used in this passage. And if I asked you to pick out which ones are different, you'd probably have a hard time. Because in the English, we just use a single word, love. Now, I can say that I love chocolate. Give me a cherry ripe and I'm there. But I can also say that I love Megan, my wife. Now, as I say those two different things, hopefully the love is a little bit different between the chocolate and the love that I have for my wife. I could also say maybe I have a, a love for my friends as well. But hopefully, again, that is a different sort of a love. Now, unfortunately, the English language doesn't lend itself well to making those distinctions. And sometimes our translators haven't done us any favours. The two words, let me just unpack the two words that are used here. You've probably heard it, bef heard it before. The first is the word agape, or agapeo, um, it, which is a love that is unconcerned for self and more concerned for the good of another. It is a real sacrificial love. And that is why it is usually used of God towards people. Because God doesn't need anything, but God often sacrifices for us. It isn't a love born out of emotions or of feelings 
or of family relationships, but out of commitment, out of a desire of the will. It's a decision to love. Now, the second word that is used here is the word phileo or philia, which is a friendship love. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves, and he says, to the ancients, friendship seemed to be the happiest and most fully human of all loves. And that's this love. It's a love that is bonded around similar interests. It's not a love based around physical attraction, which is more the eros sort of love, from which we get our English word erotic. But phila is more around brotherly love. And so in America, there's a city called Philadelphia. And that's a composite of two words, which is the philia, love, but Adelphos, which is brotherly. So it's a city of brotherly love. So here, that word is used of a friendship love. Now, if I was to try and give you an English word, uh, if we go to the next slide... You can see the words love there. Now, if I showed you where the different words were, you would see that it actually awakens you to something that you may not see in English. Go to the next slide. And there I've put in the Greek words for you to try and show you a difference. Now, where you see that word agape, think sacrificial. Think deep love. Where you see philo, think about mateship, friendship. So if we change the words now and I say the first sentence that Jesus asks to Peter, Peter, are you devoted to me? And then Peter answers back, Lord, you know I'm your mate. Something sounds a little off, doesn't it? And then he does it again. Peter, are you devoted to me? And Peter answers Lord, you know I'm your mate. And then in the last sentence, Jesus changes his word and he says to him, Peter, are you my mate? And that's where Peter says he was hurt that he was asked a third time whether he loves. If you were in a couple and you have that awkward moment where you say to your significant other, I love you, and your significant other says back to you, oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm your friend too. You know there's something going on, don't you? You know there's something a little bit sus in that conversation. There's a good KFC ad out at the moment that has that sort of thing. And then the guy then says, oh, did someone say KFC at the end of that? Sorry, I just had to put KFC into the message. Um, Jesus here addresses Peter. There are three denials that Peter committed. And so Jesus asks him three questions. But in using these different words, he's not only challenging And reminding him of the denials that he made. But he's questioning Peter's love at its very core. He's questioning his commitment to him. Now, all of us will go through times where we will sin. Where we will do the wrong thing. And we can't, you know, look on Peter and say, Peter, 
you're a dropkick. You've done the wrong thing. You should have just stood up for Jesus. Because how many times do we sin and know that God sees everything that we do? You know, we can, uh, I can look back on this week and I can think, how many times have I been selfish? How many times have I been greedy? Uh, how many times has lust crept into my mind? Or I've been proud? Have I gotten angry? Have I been bitter? Or have I deceived in any way? It doesn't take long for us all to realize how really sinful we all are. And just as Peter needed the grace and forgiveness of Christ, so too we all are in that situation where we need God's forgiveness. We need to come and have that conversation on the beach with Jesus and to acknowledge that we are sinful, that we've done the wrong thing. You know, when Peter responds to Jesus, the first couple of times he says, you know that I'm your mate. You know, Lord, that I'm your mate. Now, the word he uses in those first two times is, a, again, a different word in the Greek, which just means an intellectual knowledge. But in the last time, down the bottom, he uses a different word. And the word that last time that is translated no means a knowledge that has been gained through experience. And I reckon at that last time, Peter's looking at Jesus, knowing his own brokenness, and saying to Jesus, Jesus, you know, you know, you looked at me when I betrayed you, when I denied you. You experienced my sin. You know my sin. And you know I'm your friend still. You know, when we sin, we can feel that we have this enormous weight of guilt and shame on us. And it can be hard at that point to go back to Jesus and to say, I'm sorry, to pray and to give it back over and to repent and to have that sense of brokenness that Peter had. But that's what we need to do and that's what Jesus is there offering us, that sense of grace and forgiveness. And I love this passage because in this passage, we don't just have Jesus looking back at our sin. Because when you look at this phraseology here of these verses, there is a white line in between all the questioning. And what is the white line looking at? Whilst we get the whole reminder of love and of challenge, the white line encourages us to look forward to the commission that God has given us. It's like... I have failed and done the right thing. And Jesus says, right, you failed. Now get back on the horse and look forward. And what are the phrases he uses? Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. 
they're all phrases about the commission to continue going out and serving God. Don't give up. Don't wallow in our sin and shame, but receive the forgiveness and grace and now step forward. Now look forward. And so in verse 22, Jesus says, in a present active imperative sense or that sense of command, to follow Jesus, to move forward. And it's a phraseology that he then repeats again. You must follow me. Now, Peter is not perfect. He made mistakes and he's going to continue making mistakes. You and I are not perfect. We've made mistakes in our past. Perhaps there is something in your past that you're really ashamed for and you've never taken it to the cross to receive forgiveness. And tonight, you need to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you know my past. You know my shame. And I need your forgiveness. And Jesus wants to offer you grace and mercy and to restore you. But Jesus doesn't want to just leave you at that point. He wants you to know that no matter what your sin, the calling is not to keep looking at the past, but to look forward, to look at what God has prepared for us to do for him. See, Peter was not perfect. He made mistakes and he makes another one right here in this passage because he then goes and compares what Jesus has said about his future and he asks about John. He's comparing himself to another disciple. He's only just received forgiveness and now he's doing it again. But Peter would be used of God because he did take up the mantle to go forward. He was used at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came, Peter Peter got up boldly and preached to the crowd and thousands of people came to Christ because of Peter. Acts then goes on to say that Peter went and spread the gospel other times. He was enabled to even do miracles of healing. And God used him to build the early church and to indeed be one of the cornerstones of the early church. To allow it to grow for a good 30 years, that's what Peter did. And then the rule of Nero came, and in AD 64, we know from historical records that Peter was taken off to Rome, and there in Rome, standing for Christ, he was crucified and executed. Some traditions. Uh, less historically reliable ones say that Peter was even crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to be killed the same way that Jesus was. But a lot of that is still conjecture. The part that isn't conjecture is that Peter gave his life for the gospel and fulfilled what he said he was going to. That was he would not deny Christ in the end. He stood up for his faith. He stood up strongly. But what is important is that after failing so badly, he got up again. 
When I was younger, I had an opportunity to go uh, horse riding, um, which is one of the things I really enjoy doing. At the age of 10, I got to ride this beautiful Palomino on one of these horse riding camps and we was on a trail ride there was about 10 horses and in front of me some of the horses didn't like one another and one nipped at another and then the horses were bucking each other and my horse jumped to the side to try and avoid this jumped over a puddle and then slipped over and I rode it to the ground at which point the horse quickly got up and was jumping and doing all sorts of things uh, the instructors asked if I wanted to get back on the horse I said that horse no chance um, <laughs> and anyway uh, they took me back and eventually I got on a different horse on that same camp and continued riding you know all of us here tonight are going to fail God at one point in our lives truth being told we're failing and gonna fail many times uh, what is important is that we receive God's grace that is available to us that we take it the forgiveness that we've received and then we step forward into all that God has prepared for us to do and in doing that we are following Jesus as he calls us to I wonder tonight where you're at in your walk with the Lord are you at a point where you've reached a certain point in your Christian walk and you've stopped you've stopped growing because there is something in your life that you need to do business with God with maybe there's a step of faithfulness that you've not been willing to take maybe there's some sacrifice that God wants you to do maybe there's some sin in your life that God you can feel him putting his finger on it tonight and God's saying to you it's time for you to stop and to give that over to me and to be forgiven if that's you tonight I want to encourage you we're going to pray in a moment I want to encourage you to take some time to give that over to him if you'd like to pray with someone after the service I believe the prayer team is going to be over the side there they would love to pray with you um, if you'd like to chat with someone there are plenty of people around to chat with feel free to come and chat with me or to Julie Brad anyone around that you trust that you would like to share with we'd love to encourage you on the journey but don't leave tonight knowing that there is something still blocking you from growing there's a step that God still wants you to take let me pray Heavenly Father we thank you tonight for the boldness of Peter a man who wanted to live for you but yet often made mistakes and he was so human while he stood up and said I will not deny you I will go to prison I will even die to then several hours later being questioned and denying you in the midst of others at the time of your greatest trial Peter felt remorse Peter felt repentance Father in our lives we know that there are likely sins that we haven't put right with you and perhaps in the quietness of these next few moments you might like to just give that up to God
Heavenly Father, you know what you put your finger on in people's lives. And as each person identifies that area in their lives and lifts it up to you. Father, we pray by faith in advance and know that when we confess our sins, that you are faithful, that you pour out your grace and forgiveness into our lives so that we can be restored. I pray, Father, for each person here that we would know your forgiveness and that we would then step forward in faith to serve you with our lives. And so we give these things over to you tonight, Father, and we ask that you would strengthen us as we head out into our weeks, as we follow Jesus. Father, may the light of Christ be evident in our lives to those around us. And we pray this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you live locally here in the Ipswich region, we would love to invite you to come and join us in person uh, here at one of our Sunday gatherings at Whitehill. Uh, For more information on our services or our ministries, head on over to our website at whitehill.church. If you're interested also in taking next steps in your relationship with Jesus, please also at our website, hit the connect button and let us know where you're at. We would love to catch up with you either over a coffee or on a phone call to chat with you about where you're at. We hope you've enjoyed watching this message and we pray that God would continue to bless you as you seek to seek Him in your daily life. God bless.